Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pixelist Podcast, the podcast about all the nerdy things we love and enjoy. And today we're back to talk about some Critical Role. Ooh, it's been a minute. Every time Dang. after... <laughs> Dang it, I did it again, man. <laughs> I was holding up to say anything, but then there was kind of like an awkward silence, because you know usually I get so excited I just jump in, and so we kind of conference called it. You know, when you're on a conference call and you're like... Uh, uh, no, you you go. So I waited. It got a little weird. So I jumped in, and then it got weird again. So one of these days, our openers, you, you're going to be the average YouTuber. You're going to be scrolling through. You're going to click on our channel. It's going to be this pristine, well thought out, punchy intro. Like, who are these guys? But in the meantime, you have us, I guess. So anyway, <laughs> listen, I like our I like our awkward energy for this intro. It makes yeah. me, you know, it's just an accurate representation of us. But yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to blabber my usual thing about how I was excited to be sitting here talking some critical role, especially after the the off week. I always get juiced to to return. Yeah, you know, I feel like I, when I think about like going back to my roots, you know, we all have like our different hobbies, and you know, on the Pixelist podcast, we like to talk about some of those nerdy hobbies we like. But um, I think definitely the sweet spot for me, the thing that I keep coming back to, is D and D. You know, so. Anytime I can play more, do more, talk about more D&D, I'm excited. And uh, yeah, Critical Role is its a great avenue to have that conversation. So It is indeed. And I'm, I'm happy to be here with you talking about it, my friend. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you and everyone else that's watching with us on this journey. I just start like breaking down and <laughs> go like on a long monologue. <laughs> I lost, then my mind was going like, what do I awkwardly say back? And I thought, <laughs> thank you. And then I thought, well, wait, doesn't that sometimes feel like I love you? Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, then do I need to say, he's like, no, man, I love sitting here with you too, man. Obviously a lot happened in like a four second span. So, you know, it just <laughs> is whatever. So anywho, if you've made it this far, we're talking some critical role. Uh, episode 39 of campaign three. Yeah, I can't believe we're almost 40 deep, which who knows how long it's going to be, but it feels like it's fair to say we're probably roughly a third through the campaign-ish. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was actually, my humor, I was thinking like, what if I've been like, we're probably at like the two-thirds point. You'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> like, what if I was committed to it? You know, like Imogen and Lana being just friends, you know? <laughs> Sappho, was it Sappho and her friend that yeah subreddit? <laughs> <The> subreddit. <laughs> no, yeah, it is really cool. And um, man, it's weird to think about going all the way back to that first episode. Like this is the first campaign I've watched through and through. And yeah. it's kind of just a, you really, I mean, obviously there's like a, a real passage of time, but the story has just kind of built like, there's so much momentum happening each episode. Um, it just feels like a lot's happening in a good way, if that yeah. makes sense. So, yeah. And it feels like we're really coming across to like the first, not the first, but like a really big moment in the campaign with this solstice. Um, anyway, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. We're already, we're already in the discussion mode, but we got to back up a little bit. Um, a real quick, actually, before I launch into my recap spiel, I was curious if you're watching this podcast right now, Drop a line in the comments. Tell me how you first heard about us because I'd just be interested to hear if, you know, if it you just found us in the YouTube recommended. Maybe you saw one of my tweets, uh, you know, let me know. But anyway, well, if, if you are new to us, one thing we like to do here is recap each episode. Um, we cut that recap out, host it separately on YouTube for your viewing pleasure and convenience. 
And uh, if you're interested in hearing the full discussion that we have, uh, check the uh, discussion box, not the discussion box. The Comment section. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the other, the link to the full podcast will be I there. clearly don't know either. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Des- description. That's right. We got it. So, yeah. Um, but without further ado, I guess we'll hop in to said recap of episode 39 of Critical Role Campaign 3. The Momentum of Murder. So, we pick up with Bell's Hells having found the body of Estros and his collection of letters, and they basically are sitting there trying to decide how to best handle delivering them. After a bit of back and forth, uh, Imogen decides to send a, mess- a message to Mistress Sasadri and tells her basically what happened. They found Estros, they arrived at his house, and it was in shambles, and he has passed away. Uh, she also says that the body's still there and that the party has a letter for her. Um, so Sadri responds and asks to meet with them at a place of Imogen's choosing. So Imogen says, uh, come meet us at our hotel room, the Spire by Fire, room 69, of course. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> FCG sends a message to Evelyn, who is, you know, Estoros's, um butler kind of uh, right, assistant, yeah. and uh, basically lets her know hey like something went down you're probably in danger like just stay safe definitely don't go to the house and um evelyn responds and is like okay thank you and she actually is like i hope estros is okay so they kind of yeah. <laughs> fcg forgot to convey the fact that estros passed but they don't they don't uh, I love tell how, her now <laughs> i love everyone was like Ooh, uh. <laughs> yeah but yeah they decide that um that's probably information better passed along in person so fcg does not correct uh this mistake um the party then checks in with laudna who is grateful for everyone for what they went through to bring her back and uh just you know happy family moment uh but fern then asks about the necklace that she took from their little spirit realm journey um but she goes to reach for it and finds that it has vanished so items from that little experience do not translate into the material world but Lana right. says it was probably just a necklace that her father gave to her mother. Uh, the party's in like, hey, actually, is your name Matilda? And she reveals that her name was once Matilda Bradbury, but now she's just Laudna. She forgot who she was uh, running from town to town, being called horrible things, being chased by people. So she just wants to be called Laudna now. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, she asks, Marisha basically asks Matt, can Laudna still hear Delilah at all? And Matt's like, you don't hear anything. You know, she's not like an engine running. Um, So, you know, you don't hear anything, but you're not sure if if she's gone or not. And so then the party is like, well, do you still have your abilities? Can you still, you know, cast those spells? And so she decides to test it with an Eldritch Blast on Ashton. Um, It works. The magic smashes him in the face. And Imogen says, well, hey, you know what? You had special powers before Delilah. So this doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, maybe delilah just focused that power and as they're having this discussion a knock comes at the door and it's the green seekers gus and ollie and they've been sent by mr sasadri uh to investigate the death of estros um the green seekers tell them like hey you're the number one suspects here you need to come with us for some questioning uh and they're kind of just having this conversation through the crack of a door at this point so since this is going down, Chetney's like, oh, crap, we should have read the letter to Sasadri before, you know, so we could find out more. So he rips open that letter really quick and skims through it. 
and basically finds out that Estras was going to tell her that, hey, Bell's Hells is, this is what they're working on. This is what they've found out. Um, you know, basically stay out of their way. Like they're, they don't, they're good. They're good guys, basically, essentially. So then they mend the letter so it doesn't look like they've read it and then open up the rest of the door. Green Seekers come in and they're like, all right, you know, follow us. And they lead the party with a, um, it's um, not just them. They also have some wilder like guards. Armed, yeah, like an armed guard or something. Yeah. Escorting them back through the city. Um, so they arrive back at the Estros Manor. Uh, Mr. Sasadri is here along with more guards and also this woman with pale scare, pale skin, excuse me, silver gray hair. Um, no eyebrows. Gaunt, yeah, no eyebrows. Gaunt, uh, not elvish. She is human, but just a very kind of strange looking human. Um FCG is uncomfortable with how she's interacting with Estros's body. She's like kneeled over kind of interacting with his corpse. And he basically says as much. And she's like, this is all done with respect. This is my job. And she pulls out a golden uh, beaked sun pendant that marks her as a follower of the Dusk Maven. And then Shisadri introduces her as Grave Mystic Weva Vudal. And she begins basically casting Speak with Dead on Estros's body and begins to ask him five questions. I'm going to run through those very quickly. Uh, she asks, when did you die? And he says, not but a day before. How did you die? Uh, I was killed by the legend. Who was this legend? The legend of the peaks, Odohan Thul. And these strangers, Bell's Hells, were they responsible for your death? No. And do you have any final requests? And it's to be buried next to uh, Mistress Prudage. Sasadri then apologizes to Bell's Hells and says, like, okay, clearly this wasn't you. Sorry. Um, don't worry, I'll take care of his final burial wishes. Uh, Green Seekers, you can stop investigating Bell's Hells, but turn your attention to Odahan Thule. And then Gus is like, yeah, about that. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> That's a little above our pay grade. Uh, he basically says, you know, we're not bounty hunters. So Sasadri is like, turns to bell's hells and is like are you interested and of course they are so she says consider this your second contract the first having been trashy um so she wants them to basically hunt her down essentially um bell's hells asks though why did estrosh refer to her as the legend and uh, they didn't discuss how she had the title the legend of the peaks and learn about her accolades during the apex war fighting for the stratus throne uh, she's basically a nightmare of the coven peaks and that's how she earned the nickname. And Imogen, having grown up in that area of the world, recalls the war happening when she was a child. Um, anyway, the party then gives Shisadri her letter from Estros and also tells her about how uh, Estros gave them their air his airship. And Shisadri says, okay, I'll make sure that transfer of ownership goes over smoothly for you. Um, and then they hand over the rest of the letters as well, uh, trusting her to distribute them out. Um, before everyone heads out, though, Weva looks at Ladna curiously and introduces herself. And Weva says, like, I see something in you, uh, something that she's seen before in her line of work and basically says, welcome back, you know, implying that she can tell she's newly like right. resurrected. Um, Imogen then mentally tell, uh, telepathically communicates with her and is like, hey, wait, like, what'd you see in my friend? And or like, what else did you see? And Wave was like, I don't know what that means. Like, what should I be looking for? What is going on with you guys? And Imogen's like, well, maybe we can talk about it more in depth at a later time. And uh, Wave was like, yeah, people die all the time. I'm sure we'll meet again. Uh, the party then 
give their final goodbyes to Eshros, <laughs> starting with Fern picking his pockets. Um, but she doesn't find anything. Uh, <laughs> because of that, though, Ladna's like, oh, we should get his spices. We can make that uh, that cookie recipe. And Chetney's like, maybe we don't do that in the massively booby-trapped house. But Ladna's like, no, I need the sentimental spices. So she sends Pate on like a covert op to go retrieve them. He successfully does. Um, so they have Eshros's spice rack, essentially. Uh, Imogen's kind of says her goodbye mm-hmm. and says that, you know, they will get uh, vengeance for him. Orum grabs a dagger from the wall, like in the chaos of the battle, and puts it back in Eshros's, uh boot holster. And that's basically say their final goodbyes. Um, Ashton also grabs, I think it's like a small eagle or a small griffin, Matt described yeah. from the um, the place and kind of snags that as a token as well. Party then returns to the uh, Soot and Swill Tavern, nabs two rooms and quickly go to bed for the night. The next morning, though, Orum tells everybody how he smelled that uh, resurrection poison on Estros's weapon and basically fills them in that that's what's going on here. The party's in like, well, let's let's take a look at that. So they have FCG use his identify spell slash kind of a medicine check to inspect this coagulated blood slash poison that's still on the cane. And Sam actually rolls a net 20. So Matt describes that FCG, you know, having had this past life, if you will, long ago, has this memory bank of all of these poisons and even though he has that, he has no idea what this is. It seems something not of this world. And so Imogen's like, maybe it's from the moon. So that was the medicine half of it. The identify half of it comes through that the cane's magical and it can transform into a scythe blade with a command word. Uh, Both Chetney and uh, Ashton are interested in it, but before they kind of make any final decisions on who's going to get it, the party heads downstairs for breakfast. Uh, they catch up with Pretty, the ogre, who is the cook here. Um, you know, he catches us up on his love life, which is that he hasn't found anybody yet, but he's exploring options. Uh, and he actually gives the party some extra special spices to make their breakfast even more delicious. And basically, that's where we go to break. All right. Great job, man. So coming back from uh, the break, the party, is, they've pretty much set themselves on like what's next in our journey. And like the the most obvious data point is EOS. Uh, they know that that's where um, they're going to find out more information about the this whole Ruidus thing, uh, Imogen's backstory, um, and they suspect that there might even be um, uh, there might be a shared end goal with Thule um, with EOS as well. So they decide to make their way up to the port of the city and basically jump on the silver sun and start on their journey so they make their way up they meet the port captain tang and uh there's kind of like a funny dialogue of um laura bailey's confused as to who they're looking for exactly and so it's just it's not even worth mentioning actually <laughs> but um point being they get back on the silver sun they talk to the first mate and eventually xandis and are like hey how's the ship doing and xandis is like it's good there's still some things we're working on there's still some like broken mass and things like that we've only been here for a few days um, but we are ready to go the party however is they still have a little bit of shopping they want to do more importantly they want to get more diamonds uh possibly because 
They don't want to get into a situation they were in before with Thule, but specifically, uh, Imogen really wants a 400 gold, uh, a ruby worth 400 gold. And there's this interesting dialogue where Matt's like, all right, do you want to delay leaving to go get it? And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. Um, bottom line where the party eventually ends up on is no, let's delay. Let's get our materials. Cause we don't know what this journey is going to be like. So they actually delay the trip like a couple of minutes, but like another day and a half of like role play time. So that Imogen can get her Ruby. Um, they get the diamonds and then also FGG asked for a, to, to find a commemorative coin yeah. worth 25 gold pieces. So not 25 gold pieces, a commemorative coin worth that. Um, and I think specifically he's given a coin that's emblazoned with the symbol of the variant coin stores of Duman, uh, once used as an emblem 20 years ago. It's a memorial coin of a point in history and he adds it to his inventory. Oddly enough, uh, talking with Zandis on like, what's the trip going to be like? He says, well, it's about 1100 miles away, uh, to get to Eos and it's going to take about 11 days. And we're going to go basically around the Hellcatch Valley through the Ashanador. And uh, there's even some dialogue from like Chetney and Ormond, like maybe we should go see the Gorgini, uh, the wilds and um, the jungles that they're housed in, basically. And like, yeah, we can maybe make a little shortcut. Um, but they they talk about how it feels like Thul is really right on their tail, or maybe even past past them. And so they decide that it might actually be better to just cut through the Hellcatch Valley, shave off a few days of their trip to get there quicker. And um, they actually asked Xandis, like, is this a good idea? And he's like, well, it's the Hellcatch Valley. So um, basically says, like, pretty much no, um, but it's an option if that's what you want to do. So all that to say, uh, they set sail. There is kind of this role play scene of Matt being like, okay, it's day one, day two, day three. You know, someone roll a D20 for me. They unfortunately come across another dust storm, similar to the one several episodes ago that threw them from the ship. And Matt kind of jokingly was like, okay, yeah, here we go again. Everyone give me a strength check. And everyone rolls pretty awful. I think uh, Ladna with a minus two to strength rolls a 17. Um, and Ashen rolls a 22. Everyone else rolled like a three, a four, and a five. And like Fern rolled a one. So um, Ashen's like, what is wrong with you guys? So fortunately, this time they were prepared. They had tied themselves to the ship. Uh, they do get thrown around and take some damage, but no one gets launched off. Um, and the day continues. The most important part, though, of this journey is around, uh, I think, maybe the fourth or fifth day. Um, it's late at night. Ruidus is flaring. And two things happen, and I'll talk about the first one, then the second one. First thing that happens is Chetney feels what's, what Matt describes as this deep, irresistible itch, and he basically tears off his skin and becomes uh, his werewolf form. Uh, Fern and Orem are on are on watch with them, and Orem's immediately like, Chetney, are you good, buddy? <laughs> and... Uh, combat ensues and actually Chetney attacks them. There's some really awesome role play from Liam. He's always such a great fighter on how he describes his attacks, basically does a bait and switch with Fern and does a goading attack to create disadvantage um, against Fern. And then also uh, uses an ability to raise his AC to a 27. After a couple of rounds, they actually knock him um, out of like this ruinous haze. But 
Another feature of Chetney's character is that when he drops below a certain number of hit points, he has to do a wisdom saving throw or his feral instincts take over. So he's below those hit points. He rolls a wisdom saving throw, rolls a four, and combat ensues again. So they have to fight again. And all that to say, they finally knock him out of it. And don't knock him out, but just knock him out of it uh, as the flare sort of subsides. And um, he's like, Sorry, oops, my bad. Uh, and they talk about maybe like keeping watch with him, like going to sleep with him. And Fern's like, I would offer, but I'm afraid you might kill me in my sleep. So <laughs> he's like, that's fair. The second thing that happens during this flare is down in the ship, Imogen is having another dream. And she's having a dream of, you know, that red dust storm. And she thinks she sees Ladna in the distance, um, facing away with her, like wind whipping in the, in the, in the, wind whipping sorry hair whipping in the wind she goes after her grabs her realizes that it's actually like a tattered um veil and the person turns and it is her mother first time we've seen this character before and the mother immediately says the same thing we've always heard her say which is imogen run you have to run um then she's you know pulled away in the wind and imogen immediately she flies up into the air above the storm she sees ruidus she calls out for thule you know are you here there's no response the flare ends and then imogen actually loses her her ability to fly her power and she falls back into the storm and right before she hits the ground boom she wakes up um and in the final moments of the episode now that she's seen her mother, she casts Sending, and she says, you know, mother, are you there? And there's a silence, and then she hears back, Imogen? And that is where the episode ends. So, Ooh. crazy ending for the episode. Episode 39, um, The Momentum of Murder of Campaign 3. And again, that's the end of our recap, and we're going to talk about the episode. If you're checking out just the recap, click the link to see a full discussion. My man, Will. Crazy episode. Yeah, man, that cliffhanger. And I was just, yeah, a lot, a lot. And I'm, we talked about this very briefly before we went live with the podcast here, but we were both very glad that the uh, there is an episode this week and the Mighty Nine one-shot or two-shot's not starting yet because we got to right. find out more about what's going on here yeah i mean and it's weird that her mother's never reached out to her i guess there's a lot to unpack there for sure yeah high level uh i love the episode i, I feel like there's so much moving forward of the story every episode we've had some awesome story points um some good creepiness with uh way woo Veva, uh, Weva, I think Weva. I might be pronouncing Sorry. it wrong, but <laughs> yeah, Weva, <laughs> Weva, <laughs> yeah. Weva, um, very Rings of Power, uh, aesthetic vibe, by the way. Okay. Um, but no, I, I really liked the episode. I thought it was really good. Shorter episode. Yeah, it was uh, only about three and a half hours. But um, yeah, what'd you think? Yeah, same here. I um, it was a nice kind of. I mean. Uh, yeah, I'll say, uh, it's a nice kind of come down from, you know, we've mentioned this before, but just like the ultra high stakes and the, the stakes are still high, but, you know, bringing back Laudna and then oh, immediately Eshros is killed. I liked kind of mm -hmm. a, a chiller episode to kind of unwind with a bit. 
Um, yeah. So you know that these these campaigns have waves, uh, as it were. And I know some people are actually like, and I don't even want to really give too much time to like the negative slash toxic side of things that can happen in any community. But I did see a lot of people complaining about this episode. But yeah, not me. I enjoyed it, wow. and yeah, I think it because that's surprising to me. Yeah, me too. Uh, but, but I I pretty rarely read those comments, and so you know, it's kind of like the old adage of um, if you ever like follow like a video game subreddit, and I mean, some games are like legitimately bad. Um, but you know, you have a lot of complainers, and someone will be like, "Is anyone actually having fun?" And someone will like eventually post like, yeah, they're actually playing the game instead of <laughs> posting here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't even really typically follow that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not against, you know, checking out the subreddit and stuff. I just, just don't really do it, but, um, that's surprising. I thought it was a great episode. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I, it's not even worth diving into the, the trenches. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I enjoyed it too. I, like I said, I think it's nice to kind of have different different i don't know the word i'm looking for here but like different paces different well you know like it's nice to not yeah. always be at a million well it's like you said i mean it's 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 kind of nice to come down from an emotionally heavy series of episodes i mean think about what's happened in the last four or five episodes um oh man like what episode was it where where um they fought Adahan thule um um it was only like three or four ago i feel like i think it was more than that really because 36 let's see 36 is when they got to whitestone okay so i think it would have been 34 maybe when they fought thule and it was uncertain what's going to happen so 34 yeah. 35 um so yeah four episodes i guess um or five episodes where yeah, I mean, the, five episodes in a row of like just just trepidation and emotional heaviness. The whole storyline of Ladna, them do we say goodbye? Do we not say goodbye? And then capping it off with Esteros dying, which we called it on the podcast. Just saying. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just good for like long form story to give like your audience a chance to digest and process. So. I don't know. I, I agree with you. I, I think it'd be weird if it was a thousand miles an hour every episode. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there are different critiques beyond just that aspect of it. But again, yeah, I just happened to notice a lot of people were apparently unhappy. But yeah, we both yeah, liked okay. it. So um, that's all that matters, baby. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, to to curve that back off i thought it was a good episode and then like we already talked about this cliffhanger i'm really excited for this this one this week especially because it's going to be the last one we get for a while like yeah a let's month look at the... ish at, at least i think yeah something like that um, there might be one or two more episodes before the end of the year did you watch the nordverse one shot by the way no did you no i, I didn't realize it was on until like late last night but yeah. i was just curious Okay, so yeah, we have one Thursday. Next week's start of the start of the two shot. Then Thanksgiving. Are they taking any time off? Or are they going straight into the second second part? Uh, the second part is, is that following week. Like I think it's December first okay. or something like that. Yeah, two, three. Yeah. So after tomorrow's episode, we have a month. 
Yeah. Till we, till we see what happens next. Right. Which I'm sure there's going to be some form of a cliffhanger. That's just, you know, interesting storytelling because, you know, why not? But uh, I'm glad at least, which we I, I was going to say that we get some answers on this uh, Imogen's mother thing, but we might not really, I guess. I mean. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird um not that they've like kind of like matt's like written himself into a corner but it's kind of a weird i guess we can just start with this cliffhanger yeah um it's kind of a weird situation because a daughter who doesn't really remember her mother keeps having these memories it's it's a bit odd to think about how do you create space for them to kind of have that verbal reunion i guess and I guess maybe the cleanest way is like, can we meet or something? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happens from here, but I'm just curious to kind of see where does the opening, those first like five to 10 minutes, like where do we go in this next episode? Yeah. And correct. Fill me in here. Cause I'm having a hard time remembering. Did she ever know her mom? I think she said she doesn't remember her um okay but like when she was real little probably i don't think her mom was around even when she was little i think the implication was like imogen was born and then the mom left shortly after okay or something to that effect yeah so in in any case they don't have a relationship at all really you know regardless of if she was ever there for any point or not so like as far as like you know this reunion like there's not really other than the fact that like that's my mom you're my daughter they don't really have much of a like emotional connection beyond just being mother daughter so right i mean obviously there's things to unpack and i'm sure there's a lot imogen wants to say uh not to discount any of that but i mean i guess first and foremost we need to know what situation she's in like she may not be in a like could she be on rudis like what if she's like you know, as far as like, well, come meet up. Let's talk things out. Like maybe she's trapped. Maybe she's like a prisoner of Thules. Maybe she's on Ruidus. Maybe like, who knows? So I don't really know what to expect as far as answers or anything. I imagine there would definitely be another message sent and we might at least get the information of where she is or if she is, you know, predisposed yeah. for some reason. But I, and I mean, maybe she's like, Hey, uh, I'm in town, like come to the inn and let's, let's hash this out. But I, I doubt that's the case. So I imagine we might just get like some very vague or just little teensy bits of answers, but that full reunion for, for lack of a better word, I think is probably still a ways down the line. How do you think her physical nature, like what do you think is implied about the state of her mother? Cause Matt described her as, like straggly hair and a face that you know is it's it's framed by this tattered veil, but that her body was almost um, not flat or I think you described it like kind of papery and like it gets like caught in the wind and like ripped away. Like what what do you what do you think is implied by that? Well, I was going to ask you something similar in that. Do we think that was really her mom in the dream or was that like Imogen's subconscious? Because we know that, I mean, we don't know, but we've, 
other people have appeared in the dream that seem to be entities with their own agency and beyond just like, oh, this is a nightmare, you know? So I was wondering, hmm. could this really be Imogen's mom? Like, you know, her mom, wherever she is, maybe was like all, I don't know if she necessarily was present in the dream at the same time, but like that was really her and not just a dream figment. Yeah, I don't know. I do think the fact that she was able to message her after makes it seem like there's some something there. Yeah, so, and this is, you know, a big old reach for now, but if she is on Ruidus, maybe that's a reason why, one, she's been just nowhere to be found for however long, but two, maybe because there was a Ruidus flare, like that enabled her to finally appear, at least sort of, which could, you know, describe why she was like papery and stuff. Like she's not. She can't fully be there, but because of the flare, that was enough of a connection to somewhat. But what did Matt say, though? He said that, so we know that, because I was thinking, like, why now? Like, why did she show up in this memory now? And Matt has explained earlier that Ruidus is kind of reaching the zenith of its um, rotation. Sorry, I can't think of the, <laughs> yeah. the term. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, uh, which we saw the effect of that on Chetney. But specifically for her mother, I, I do wonder if that like kind of like opened up the frequencies a little bit. But but Matt had an interesting phrase. He said, I think he called it like an an unlocked memory. Mm. Did you catch that? He was like, you know, you have you this memory that you've now unlocked, and so mm. it actually makes me wonder if she wasn't physically there, but that she was remembering something. Because think about also early in the episode there was a comment on Imogen would have known about the war. And there was a yeah. question like, well, would Adahan have come to her town? And there was like a comment of like, it's definitely possible. So is she not actually connecting with her mom presently, but is re-experiencing like a vague memory of the storm, Adahan coming to her town and like ripping her mother away? I, I don't know. And her mother's saying, Imogen, you, you need to run. Like, get out of here. Like, don't let her find you kind of yeah. thing. I like that a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. More sense than what I was saying. So I, yeah, I like that. I missed, I missed that memory verbiage that Matt used. But I think that ties in nicely to her always hearing her mom say run in all of these dreams she's been having. So it's like a repressed memory mm -hmm. that she just finally right. now uncovered so yeah i like that a lot and i also like the because i mean surely if there was a massive storm that happened when she was a child she would remember that so i like it that maybe it was uh like a metaphor for duel because we know her mom also has the same rudest powers that imogen does so if thule is out here collecting these special people to use in one way or another maybe she was like hey there's nothing i can do about me now but imogen we like and her father like y'all gotta get out of here right so i i love that i think i'm gonna ship that now <laughs> we're shipping it we're shipping it yeah okay we're putting our official pixelist stamp on that one uh let us know in the comments what do you think um and for you guys who maybe if you're kind of watching the show kind of casually 
if you we've mentioned a couple of data points, you know, her having this dream of the storm, her mother's voice, Imogen run earlier in the season or the campaign, we got more information that Liliana, her mother's name, was part of this study that was basically on like these lunar uh basically on ruidus and like this red storm and like what's been happening and liliana was named in this study and i think it was the person who who like published the study like the person who wrote it i guess or oversaw it is someone from eos right i think so okay well who pretty was, sure who was the guy that before they did the museum heist, they went. And, I can't remember his name right now. They went and visited that guy who had like all the records of Ruidusborns. Yes. It, it, so he wasn't the one that he did the studies. He's not the one who did the studies. Okay. He was the one that the Loomis twins were visiting right. to like swap notes with. Okay. Yeah. So they got more insight from him, but ultimately, and he actually knew the person I think who published the study. And like confirmed, oh yeah, that person was in EOS. Like that's where you'd have to go. Okay, yeah. Um, and that's also when they when they were heading to Bosseras, Bosseras, um, to Estros, they're like, would it be cool if we went to EOS? And he was like, yeah, as long as you're back in a month. Um, right. So. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think then EOS is definitely where the the other person is. That I don't know their name either. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't even know their name, but the. The we, we know the, name. Of the I, study. I just don't i just don't remember the name okay. is all so um i forgot well I, next third tomorrow is going to be an amazing episode is what i think um i think uh, you know it's it's going to be a lore heavy episode which you and i really like and um it's not going to be a travel episode i don't think i think i think maybe there's a side side drop in with the um gorgini um jungle maybe or maybe they go straight to eos and you know the story picks up there but i think beyond tomorrow i think there's a lot that's going to happen in the next 10 episodes for sure yeah absolutely and i think i mean i guess you never know but they they plan on stopping don't they at the at least i know travis wants to or chetney i know he wants to yeah i mean and that it is part of the journey like they've they've kind of put it on like the stopping point but the other thing i think about too though is um it's it's been almost by the time they if if it's 11 days or i think they were cutting it down to nine maybe by the time they get to eos of the month timeline yeah of how far away the the solstice is so we got the time date the, the time data point of it's about a month away we also have um you uh from right. the Sealy court the right. unseelie court excuse me who gave them the month timeline to get the moon time crown yeah we're we're at we're we're getting really close to the end of that timeline because we had about 10 days from Adahan to getting Ladna back Right. We had a, we've had a couple of days in Drusar, and now the trip is nine to eleven days. That's about three weeks. So yeah, <laughs> that's why I think a lot in the next ten episodes. I think I think there might be some really like you you kind of mentioned it earlier. We might maybe heading like to the first big climax. I think hundred percent, absolutely. 
Yeah, and that's if they don't even run into any more snags on the journey, you know, like the trip could take them even longer than nine right. to 11 days. And I mean, if they do stop, I mean, I know they probably wouldn't intend to stay for any amount of time, but who knows what would happen and that might delay them even further. But yeah, great point. Um, obviously, I don't think that Matt would like destroy a logical spectrum to the point of like, man, he said a month ago, like a year and a half ago, you know what I'm saying? But there is some precedent for that in previous campaigns uh, where there was like some event and it like kept being talked about and it was like forever until they actually got to it. This feels more concrete and I don't think it would be stretched too much like that but it's at least possible that even though it feels like oh it should be three days away it might still be like two or three yeah, episodes sure. later um well and i i definitely wouldn't fault them for that and i also yeah. wouldn't expect matt to be like sorry you missed a, a solstice sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure but uh it would be funny if it is kind of like a frieza namek you know <laughs> one minute yeah <laughs> 10 episodes later <laughs> oh my gosh what a what a callback. That's like the OG moment of just ridiculousness with the time frame. Yeah. Uh, so but, do you think or sorry, go ahead. No, well, what were you are you changing gears? Oh, no, I'm not. I just I was gonna say, do you think we might spend the whole episode tomorrow in the Gorgonai uh jungle? Uh, okay. Two things. Let me hit this one point really quick before I jump to that, because there's more I want to say about that. But Given the timeline, and if there isn't any weird stretchiness happening, then you're right. When they arrive, like there's not much time before this solstice happens, right? And there's the conversation of is it even possible that they could prevent this? Like whatever entities are planning, I guess specifically Odahan, you know, can, can they even stop her? Not to mention the various other events that we don't even know about that people are going to use this solstice for. But, which I don't think they can. I think this is going to happen, like, regardless of what the players do. But assuming there is some confrontation where they are going to try to thwart Odahan, right? They really haven't gotten any noticeable increase in strength since the last time they fought her. And there's really not time for that to happen with the time frame we're on. So, like, are they walking into a death trap if they do try to do something here? You know, I'm kind of nervous about that. Yeah, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the poison too. Like, I feel like the yeah. poison was not just a session of an encounter of convenience that she didn't prep it, but also a warning from Matt DM. Hey, BT Dub, this person causes perma death. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm scared. You know, and lot losing Lana was that was an emotional roller coaster. I don't want to go through that again. For sure, and I mean, I don't think. I don't think they could run away if it happened again. Like, so worried about that, which leads me to the, the other issue of like, you know, we kind of mentioned how we're probably a th about a third through the campaign. This clearly isn't the big bad end all moment of the campaign. So to me, and it also seems to have implications way larger than Bell's Hell's. Yes. So to me, like this is happening. So I'm wondering, like, maybe that encounter doesn't happen for one reason or another. Like, maybe they're too late. Not, not too late isn't a good way to put it. But like, I could see maybe the Thule encounter just they don't get the chance to, and they fail in terms of stopping what she was gonna do. 
which, you know, would, I mean, I want to see what happens obviously, but obviously it wouldn't be a good thing if that happened, but at least they wouldn't have a high risk of getting TPK'd, which I think is where we're currently sitting. They get TPK'd and the part the party like rolls as their Vox Machina characters for like the back half. <laughs> we're back. Yeah. Uh, there is like this foreboding sense of them being in over their heads though. I mean, with like how strong Thule is, um, Thule was kind of super Saiyan esque too, like her psionic leap where she just like, you know, jumps like from one yeah. side of the battle to the other. And Chetney was like, I can't do anything. That was all I had. So th- there's that. There's the whole Paragon's call, and, all, and additionally, General Ratanish. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole organization. Yourself, probably there's next time. The Cerberus Assembly, also, which I don't know anything about other than what you've told me. And uh, the main guy's name for Cerberus Assembly? Oh. Um, guy? Uh, I'll tell you what yeah. I remember, but I can't think but, of it right now. Big bad evil dude, I guess, right? Or something like that, or wizard, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's that. Uh, there is, and, and I'm right now. I'm just pointing out like factions that seem aligned and that they would be up against. Which the data points I have is that anytime they've mentioned the Cerberus Assembly to like people of authority, they've been like, "Oh well, that kind of limits what we can do." Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention, by the way. The fact that um, what you already said, the party really hasn't grown in power much since since the last encounter. Um, and un, unrelated to these entities, you have the Unseelie Court that is vaguely associated. We know they all met together, but seem to have similar outcomes they want. It, it really does feel like they're in over their head in that, you know, it's like, what could they possibly, whatever big event were, oh, oh, and not even to mention the fact all the things that have been happening under the table to prep this group for the Apogee Solstice, the Broomstone, the um, uh, the Whitestone Residuum, um, all these things, these comings and goings that are happening under the table for massive prep, the Dunamantic Liquid that were on the crawler, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a friggin' ton of stuff that's happening here. I'm nervous if I'm, if I'm part of this party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a bug. You're a bug in this whole ordeal, man. You're gonna get smashed, a hundred percent. And you know, not even to mention all the other things that are potentially like all the things Keyleth mentioned about the groups she's trying to make sure don't take advantage of this or whatever. You know what it kind of reminds me of? Calamity. Like in that story, we knew like that there was futile. Like there's nothing that these people could do, even though they were gonna try. It kind yeah. of feels like that. Like I'm not saying all bell cells is going to get wiped off, but I don't think they can be successful in, in stopping what's going to happen. Um, which I'm excited about though, because I think the, the world implications of what may be going on here could be like a really cool in terms of storytelling. But because of that, I'm so scared that they're going to try to stop it and die, you know? So it, it'll be interesting to see how Matt kind of, threads this needle and i mean this what i'm speculating here could be completely wrong about what's happening but if that is somewhat right it'll be interesting to see how matt kind of threads the like you know you might die if you do this versus like here's another path that you can still you know feel like you're not just running away essentially 
Yeah, no, I, it's definitely right. I mean, it feels it, like we kind of said it earlier. It almost feels like this is a critical role, Exandria brand type event that other storylines can spiral out of like calamity. Um, and definitely beyond the scope of bells, hells. Um, and it, we may not be too far away from it either. Man, you know how they, they gave like all the warnings pre-campaign about like how we're going to be doing some things different, you know? What if, yeah. it, what if it was like Calamity and Bell's Hells, their function was to get like just destroyed here and then we start like a new chapter of a story? I don't think that's going to happen, but that would be crazy. Oh, man. I don't know. I guess also if they take like a a Christmas or like holiday break, it does make me wonder, could we end the year with the Apogee Solstice? I don't know. I think I think that would be a cool place to end. But, you know, obviously it'll, that'll kind of just depend on the, the natural flow of the story over the next few episodes. But that would be a really cool. I feel like Matt, spot. if I'm Matt, I'm thinking, I mean, you know, he has like the Pepe Silvia like board of like all the little things he's yeah, connecting, yeah, yeah. like the depth of thought that he's put into this. I mean, he has to be giddy at the idea of some <laughs> of these things coming to fruition. For sure. So. For sure. I would love to. He occasionally across the years has given like a little glimpse into like notes long past, like stuff that's not really like relevant anymore. I would love if he like would, I guess, again, down the line would share more of that stuff because it would just be awesome to get an insight into how he operates. Yeah. And if you guys listening, you're curious about like the dimming world building process, like we are going to be putting out more D&D content on like that kind of vein of stuff. Um, so you could stay tuned for that and even just let us know kind of questions or thoughts you have yourself. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's no better feeling than building like a long-term payoff and then finally getting to that moment. And like I said, it does feel like we're getting really close to that. Yeah, absolutely. Another payoff, if I can slightly change the subject, do you have more you want to say? Uh, no, not on that. I do want to. I'll go ahead, but let's not. I don't want to forget the Gorgini thing. Oh, okay, great. I was just going to say another payoff. We said it early on. Esteros was doomed. We said he has all the markings of a doomed NPC. We said this guy is super dead. And what do you know? I, did, I even though he died last episode, I just didn't have a chance to relish in it. But <laughs> I was taking a shower and I was like, we were right. Um, Take your moment. I about, yeah, I just you know shower thoughts. But um, that's really, that's all I have to say about it. But all I will also say is I think it's very interesting. It's very interesting that, um, what's his name? The guy they, they arrested from Basaros. Treshi. Treshi. We know Adahan Thul was in Drusar. It's interesting that she killed Esteros, but didn't kill Treshi. Mm-hmm. As far as we know. You know, it could be Lady Shashadri was holding her cards close to her chest. It's just very interesting that Treshi wasn't also the loose because I don't think I don't think she came to Drusar for the loose end of Esteros because it doesn't seem compelling enough. Mm-hmm. Unless she was looking for Bell's House, then it maybe makes sense. It feels to me that she was coming for Treshi. And it was like, while I'm here, let me also go s- smash that other bug that's been getting on my nerves. Interesting. Yeah, it is. You, 
seems like Treshi should be high on our list as well. But maybe, you know, we at least we know Eshros lives alone, you know, even though he's a capable warrior with lots of booby traps. Um, Treshi might be in Alcatraz, as you know, like maybe he's sure. like locked up somewhere real, like that's she can't maybe t- worth too much trouble to try to get at him. But sure. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, for all we know, maybe he did or is still going to get murked. Um, yeah. But I do think that Estros is a viable target to, to have come to Drusar for, because she knows that he's the one who hired Bell's hell. So like he's a peg higher on the, the chain of command. Right. So like cut the head off the snake essentially type of thing. So I'm, I mean, I do agree with what you're saying, but I could also see him, if it was the case, being a good enough reason by himself to have come there. I do wonder how she travels, though. I know it's kind of a silly thing. I, I'm just, it does feel like she is well connected and she can get from point A to point B very quickly. Yeah. And it's also interesting the sheer terror the party has of constantly checking the little um orb yeah, the, thing the tracking because yeah. they put the tracking ring on her um i don't know it's just interesting yeah i agree she definitely is traveling very quickly so i mean it doesn't seem like she herself is capable of like casting teleport it seems seems to be more of a melee like not less of a spellcaster so i don't think she herself is doing it but I mean, we still don't fully know what the hell that thing is on her back and what capabilities that might have. But also, yeah, she's the leader of the Paragon's Call, so I'm sure they at least have connections that could teleport her if needed. Um, But yeah, I I also, for my money, she doesn't have that ring anymore. I feel like she's too keen to like, it, at least at this point, you know, like a week and a half later, like I feel like she would have discovered it if not discovered it immediately. I think, yeah, I mean, this seems like a no-brainer to me. I think, I think the story point we're building to is the party like checking and being like, oh, thank God, and then she pops up, yeah, or you know, they look and it's glowing, and then they find it like on themselves or something, it's like a trap. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you hear Otahan be like, you didn't think I'd notice? Or like she reverse, you know, reverse yeah. Uno them or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I, there's, I mean, come on, guys. Like there is no way. Oh, we found, we found her. She's over here. And they yeah. go, how did you know? Yeah, I, <laughs> no, there's no way. Thwarted again. Yeah. She, she's the legend of the peaks. Come on now. Yeah. And presumably the leader, not just of the Paragon's call, but, whatever is going on with Ruidus. Yeah. And a very compelling villain too, by the way. I'm just saying that in the sense of having us talked about villains and is it the Nightmare King or whatever. I don't know if she will be the big bad, but she is a very compelling villain for sure. Agreed. Agreed on all counts. And uh, sorry, uh, the Gorginai. I wanted to jump back there. Uh, oh, uh, Ludnus Deleth. <laughs> that was no. the guy's name. That name just—I just saw you. I saw <laughs> it in your face, like it just hit you. You were like, "That's the name." It was, yeah, it just came through me right then. Um, the leader of the Cerberus Assembly. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, um, so the <laughs> the Gorgini, which I hope I'm saying that right, Gorgini. I don't know. 
it's definitely spelled like Gorgonai, but they keep saying Gorgini. Um, I think, I don't know, man. So a whole conversation I want to have here is Chetney, which we know it's been said multiple times that, that Katha is the one that transforms him, but we've now had, I think we obviously had the, the, the moment this, this past episode where the rudest flare transformed him, but we've also had at least a moment where he almost did when he was looking at Ruidus. And then was there another, I know this is where it's going to get murky and I'm going to kind of ramble, but I feel like there was like these hints of, there was maybe a moment in the past that either like was the night he went and attacked that shopkeeper. Was that, the, was that a Ruidus flare night? No, I think what okay. you're thinking of though, is they asked him, have you ever, because maybe it was Gurge or someone was like, yeah, watch after this guy whenever, you know, Rudis is climbing to its peak. And I think there was a conversation like, have you ever like lost control? And he said, no. And yeah. I think someone did like an insight check and like you and I were like, is he being honest? But we do know in this last episode, after it happened, Chetney said, that's never happened before. Right. So, Which I don't know if I trust him though. Fair. You know? Yeah, but he did say that. And what's interesting is that th I'm glad you brought this up. Was that uh, was that Ajit that they were talking to? That I don't know. I think yeah, it was. I'm not sure. It might I have been it yeah. It might have been Ajit Zile for sure. And he did mention, or at least somebody mentioned. And maybe I'm crossing wires here, but who said it is kind of irrelevant. But somebody did mention like watch out for him at the at the whatever the Nexus, whatever it's called. If Katha is the one that transforms people, how did they know that? You know, like why, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously, at least yeah. there's some knowledge that Ruidus can too. Because why would he have warned them about that? So not that Chetney knew, but maybe he did. Um, yeah, I forgot they asked him a clarifying question. You're right. Is it Katha or Ruidus? Mm -hmm. he, he, he said Katha, right? Yeah. Travis has said that like multiple times. So I'm not saying Travis is lying, but at least it's possible. Um, and maybe it's just Chetney as a new-ish werewolf wouldn't know that. Um, maybe it's maybe it's Katha, but Rudis like being lunar. Um, if it was a G Dial or whoever who said it, and just knew that there would be some impact from Rudis. Yeah. Oh, well, you know but, what? I think it was Gurge. Yeah. Okay. Because he is well, a werewolf. The thing I was going to say was. There is an interesting detail here in the event that happened. Matt describes it as this itch. And then that moment, like halfway through the combat where he shrugs it off, um, Matt says, you're able to sort of stave it off before it reaches your brain. Almost like it was like this, I don't know if you caught that, but it was like this infection. He's like, yeah, before it reaches your brain or, or overcomes your mind, you're able to shrug it off. Uh, which to me is like this almost like a permanent like loss of oh man i don't know it was something yeah. like like you you not you, you know you knocked it off just in time uh which it's again begs the question what's happening here but more importantly what is going on with rudis like rudis something's going on here right i mean i don't know i don't even know what i'm saying i'm just <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i'm with you there's a lot of like question marks still with with how it's affecting him and it at, unless it was just a, like an oversight in the dialogue mentioned of oh watch out for him at the nexus but uh 
that at least implies that it's always at least had somewhat of an effect on werewolves, uh, at least sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we know Ruidus, for lack of a better word here, has this alien influence and power that it can basically bestow on people. Ruidus borns, Elixian, these werewolves, I guess. So, like, to what end does, you know, making feral werewolves help Ruidus get to its, like, you know, and maybe it, maybe there's not, you know, like, a, like well, an intelligence behind it. But maybe there is, though, because remember how they had Gurge hostage? And they were using him to convert um, Paragon's okay, calls yeah, yeah. into werewolves. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, is there a purpose to that beyond just like a beefier squad? Seems like probably. Do we? I wonder if Odohan... No, Odohan's probably not a werewolf. But, I mean, who knows? Um, is Estros a werewolf? <laughs> we'll never <laughs> <Too> know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, uh, go ahead no i'm just listening yeah yeah oh, no i'm the all that aside the bigger point i wanted to to bring across here about the gorgonai was that since it's true of chetney unless he's special presumably it's true of all werewolves so are they about to if they do go there come across this werewolf camp that have all just gone feral on each other the night before you know like did they lose control too bro that would be insane like you think you're finally yeah you think you're finally like catching up with your tribe get some answers and they've wiped themselves out or have kind of splintered off into these like feral not even factions but just you know if if the route is eventually like losing your own control even yeah. maybe sentience um yeah that could be crazy for sure so uh, that those were all my my thought processes because presumably Chetney's not like some special one, and all werewolves would be affected right. in this way. So unless they have like a super grip on how the Gorgina, I mean, like how all this all works, I'm worried that they that what they might be walking into if they do go there. That's a great call out, though. It makes me really excited for tomorrow. Hmm. Interesting. And this is tangentially related, but I did bear with me here. So in that fight with Chetney versus Orm and Fern, uh, you know, they made Matt made notice of Orm's strike not doing as much damage as he thought it would because uh, Orm doesn't have a magical weapon and werewolves right. are resistant or whatever. Um, one, I feel like Orm needs to get himself a magical weapon stat. Probably everyone on the squad does. But two, that made me think, oh, I wonder if they bought anything from Gilmore. Because they, like, you know, they said, like, we'll handle it off screen. Right. Uh, but then we've never gotten any, um, right. any update on what people may have purchased. But I guess Liam didn't get a weapon in any case. Unless he did and just forgot that. No, yeah. And I'm curious also, was it safe to assume the diamonds were for another resurrection? Or did someone need the diamonds? And then follow up from that, what did Imogen need the ruby for? Like what spell requires a ruby? Yeah, so I think the diamonds are definitely just resurrection uh, a stash, you know, just to be safe. Uh, but the ruby, I don't know. And I wondered if it was maybe a special rudis 
level special ability that she's gotten. Are you looking up like what spells require? Yeah, there's not any that require it. <clears throat> not any that require it. And then also it's not clear what Sam's uh, um, commemorative coin was for. Oh yeah. I was going to yeah. bring that up too. Yeah. But yeah. Diamonds know. definitely for the res. I would be really surprised if those were for something else. Um, Ruby best guess. Rudis ability that is probably homebrewed yeah. by Matt. Yeah. 400 gold is a lot though. Like, so I'm wondering, is that like 400 gold worth of rubies and maybe whatever she's doing doesn't cost 400 for one use. But if it does, I wonder what that spell does. Cause that's an expensive. Yeah. Component. But it could be something that doesn't use it every time. Oh, that's true. That's true. You know, it's just like a base cost. Um, Cause like, let's see. Um, I bet you're right. I bet that's what it is. Like a, oh, I can't think of the word, but yeah, it's not consumed. Yeah, because like chromatic orb, which I used in one campaign, I don't think consumed. Let's say, yeah, you needed yeah, like a yeah. diamond. Yeah, a diamond worth fifty gold, and it doesn't consume the diamond. Right. Um, even though my DM took it from me, like after the second session, I had it. <laughs> <laughs> Never forgiven them. Um, yeah, so I mean, it could be. Yeah, you have the ruby, and now you have it, right? But mm-hmm. it, it it definitely is not. I mean, in a world where many components in the player's handbook is a fifty gold worth of whatever it is, mm-hmm. four hundred definitely stands out. Yeah. So and, and ruby definitely speaks Brutus to me, like red. Yeah. So yeah, right. I bet it must be something like that. But they haven't leveled up any time recently, have they? Um, I don't think so. I don't know. But I mean, I guess it has like since the last time they did level up, they've kind of been like on the move the whole time. So maybe she just like this is the first opportunity she's had to try to find that component for something new she got. Yeah. They're level seven right now? Or are they eight? I want to say seven, but maybe they're eight. Yeah, but they also started at four, right? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have to know. Here we go. Character sheets. Oh, wait. This is the Mighty Nine. Just kidding. Here we go. Character sheets. Um, yeah, they're all level seven. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to round that back around i i'm still i'm hoping at some point we do find out what they bought maybe they didn't buy anything and so maybe that's why it hasn't been brought up but also stuff that happens off camera like that i'm sure they kind of just forget that like the audience doesn't know you know so like especially if with the off weeks and different things like it maybe has been a month for them since they bought things off screen so um if they did buy anything hopefully we still find out because i'm very curious um, level seven was start of september oh so, yeah, okay it's been, so, it's been a couple months interesting so they're probably coming up on another level shortly i would imagine right yeah okay interesting very interesting huh yeah oh oh this reminds me that because i was just looking at laudna's multi-class the data point on um her still being able to being able to eldritch blast we talked last episode about 
the dragon and the sun and also how she seemed to react to the sun tree. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm shipping the theory that she already had a patron and that borrowing Imogen's word, maybe Delilah sort of focused your magic. I think, like I said last episode, I think Delilah, like a parasite, stepped into that position of her patron. And now that Delilah seems dormant, uh, she still has that warlock power because she she always had it. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of my take on that, though. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. And like we, like we saw in the episode, she still does have those abilities. So, and not that not that they couldn't make whatever work in in service of not like punishing Marisha. Um, but yeah, I, I I like that theory a lot. That there was already a patron. Um, yeah. hmm. so it'll be interesting to see where that goes and I know we already briefly mentioned it but yeah that that freaking coin that Sam got I feel like just knowing Sam I feel like there's and maybe it is just like a spell component that he wanted flavored that way but I feel like he's got some he's got some plan for that coin and so I'm excited to see how that unravels yeah and I don't know a spell that would require that honestly I feel um, like if it is like a component, it's probably something. Oh, oh, here we go. Like new. fourth level, fourth level spell divination requires a twenty-five gold piece offering. So maybe he's homebrewing instead of twenty-five gold pieces. It's like an actual coin. Um, Does it get consumed? Yes, because it is offered. Um, so let me read it down to you. Um, your magic. Uh, your magic and an offering put you in contact with a god or a god's servant, and you can ask a single question concerning a specific goal, event, or activity to occur within seven days. Apogee solstice, maybe? Ooh, interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> the GM then can offer a truthful reply. It could be a short phrase, a cryptic rhyme, or an omen. Um, it doesn't take into account any circumstances that might change the outcome. Um yeah anyway very interesting very interesting mm-hmm. and then i did on this list of um this was on the D subreddit about a year ago every every spell that requires a gold requirement um summon construct fourth level spell requires 400 gold pieces of a lockbox or a stone as, as well as summon which i think stone ruby I don't know right yeah um so summon construct and then there's right above it summon aberration you need a tentacle and eyeball and a good 400 gold piece platinum vial and then summon elemental uh elements that are in a 400 gold piece vial um so maybe this 400 thing is something it's a kind of a home brewed ruidous flavored she's going to summon something yeah, um i could see that for sure because all three of those are 400 gold pieces and nothing else nothing else on this list has um, that number. Hmm. Yeah, I could totally see that. Summon some sort of, of, for lack of a better word, familiar to aid her in, mm-hmm. in combat. That'd be really cool. There is Rudis a fifth elemental. Yeah, there is a fifth level spell called Infernal Calling, but that's a thousand gold piece ruby. Um, 
So, and you summon a devil from the nine hells. Um, so she could, maybe she has like a lighter, ruidous version of that. I, I think all of these are the same kind of thing, though. It seems like maybe she might be able to summon something in the next combat session. Yeah. So. I want to know. Um, but then that divination thing, that's really got me wondering. So Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. I wonder if he'll try to get the coin back. <laughs> <laughs> he probably still wants his coin back from Drasar that uh, Orem threw oh, down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, where'd it go? Oh, I threw it. Oh. oh. <laughs> so funny. Oh, man. Well, what else from the episode did you want to talk about? I know we're, we've gotten kind of late, but... um, I think we pretty much hit the things I wanted to, quickly skimming my notes here. Um this isn't really a discussion topic, but I'm very interested to learn more about what happened during this apex war, where we know that, that Odahan became the legend of the peaks for the Stratus throne. But we also know the nightmare King was involved. Eshros was involved. Um, just interested more in that history. And then, but bro, go ahead. Oh, just on that real quick. Just, I just love the detail here. Cause I remember in the intro episode one, you guys can go back and watch it. The intro, Matt gave this amazing, stage setting of the mm -hmm. campaign and he talked about the apex war and i thought i wonder why he's mentioning that you just know as he was saying that breadcrumb he already had spiraled out like that's oh, going to be an important detail at some point you know? yeah. so i just i just love how we're coming back around to that episode one detail yeah for sure 100 percent um and I lost the thing I was... Oh, just another moment I really liked in the episode was at the beginning when they were, you know, kind of saying their goodbyes to Eshros. And or I don't know if it happened then, but it was in the beginning of the episode when they were kind of being like, yeah, we, we're the ones that, that caused this to happen. Like, it's our fault. And then Ashen kind of goes on this impassioned, like, rebuttal to that, saying that, like, no, we're not, like we're his legacy. We're not what killed him. We're the thing he set into motion to make sure that like, this will be stopped. Like we yeah. are his eventual victory. And I was like, that is awesome, <laughs> bro. Don't you love seeing those moments happen where you're like, dude, it's kind of like, um, in calamity, uh, Sam Regal giving his speech in episode four. Yeah. Like when those things happen just, you know, naturally they're just really, they're cool moments to observe for sure. Great. He said, he said a, really awesome line there for sure so yeah that just wanted to call that out because that was it struck me mm -hmm. so i really enjoyed that hey talison good job yeah talison yeah <laughs> all right well um i guess that does it for this episode we're really excited for next week's episode we also uh will be talking about the mighty nine two shot uh so i'll be watching it even though i didn't watch any of campaign two beyond like 10 episodes uh, and we'll be reacting to that as well uh let us know in the comments what you thought about the episode and don't forget you can find us on twitter you can find us on our youtube channel and also you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts um and the tiktok as well that's right and uh i mentioned this earlier but i really am curious uh how did you first discover us let us know mm -hmm. in the comments um but yeah now we just got a thumbnail i think um, one of us should be chatney and the other one should be or i'm kind of like you know or to quote fern hey big guy <laughs> <laughs> but kind of like come on you know okay I don't know. sure will you have a preference no all right uh 
I guess I'll be Chetney, like like lunging nice. at you fairly. Yeah, and I'll be like a like a um like holding the shield like here. How's this for the uh actually I'm out of frame? This, uh, yeah. Your this hand needs to come. The shield <laughs> doesn't doesn't really work for like a thumbnail, you know? Yeah. I'll kind of do like a like a whoa big okay, guy. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, is this good? Uh, All right. You're the hand closest to the mic, a little bit closer to the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right cool well that's it all righty y'all well that's it <laughs> see you later <laughs> bye y'all